Thank you to everyone that has tuned in thus far. The hustle and grind continues as we're now into season two of 52 Weeks of Hustle. I've had such a great time sitting down with industry leaders. Thank you to the leaders and for all the listeners and your continued support. In addition, thank you for everyone that has supported the book, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales, a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. It's available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audio versions. Be sure to check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle. I'm Travis Apple. I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry, and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business, or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name. Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Everyone has heard of the likes of Steve Young, Troy Aikman, Bruce Smith, Tony Gonzalez, and Patrick Mahomes, to just name a few. Guess what all these very successful NFL players have in common? If you guess they all have the same agent, you are correct. I'm very excited to have our next guest, Lee Steinberg, CEO of Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you, Travis. Happy to be with you. Lee, I'm certainly excited to dive into your illustrious career and talk about the excitement about being a sports agent. And many of our loyal listeners here on 52 Weeks of Hustle may first be like, why is a sports agent on this podcast? And I'll answer that right away in three different ways. First, I'm competitive. I always want to get the best of the best, and you're certainly one of them, so thank you. Secondly, being a sports agent has a lot of sales skills that are needed. And finally, I know, Lee, you like to give back and help the next best superstars in the sports business industry. And so let's start there. Lee, why is it so important for you to give back and help the next generation of professionals? So people go to law school, business school, sports marketing uh, degrees, and they learn the basic principles. But we were worried that there were not enough skills, actual practical skills being emphasized in that education. And so I started the Agent Academy to try and teach the next generation of uh, prospective uh, agents how to negotiate, how to recruit, how to set up a charitable program, how to market and brand. Um, And then we set up a sports career conference, which had panels on sports marketing and branding, a panel on working for a front office for a team, a league, a, a university and athletic department, how to work in Uh, television or electronic media or journalism, how to, uh, again, set a charitable foundation up and how to use sports to make a difference in the world. And through these conferences, we're able to mentor uh, young people and give them um, a head start. And we're also interested in inculcating them with values that are not situational. So situational ethics are someone who's very nice at home to cats and dogs, is a good neighbor, but then goes out in the workplace and uses heinous social Darwin tactics to achieve business goals because the end justifies the means. And that leads to a type of soul death. So the concept is you are 
who you are at work as well as uh, at home. And, and it's a reflection of your values. So part of it was to try to push a, a, a set of skills. One of the most important is listening skills. If you can learn how to draw out another person, create enough space and quiet so they feel comfortable peeling back the layers of the onion. So you go deeper and deeper into terms of how someone feels about short-term economic gain, long-term economic security, family considerations, spiritual considerations, geographical, living in a certain type of climate or place, uh, autonomy. Um, for an athlete, it would be being on a winning team, the quality of uh, coaching, the system they play, the facilities, that constellation of values is going to fit differently into different people's lives. So if you can start with knowing yourself and being able to prioritize that, and then you will draw out another human being so you realize their deepest anxieties and fears and their greatest hopes and dreams um, and put yourself in their heart and mind, you can navigate your way through life very gracefully. No, absolutely. And two big takeaways from that, Lee, is you know, good things happen to good people. If you're a genuine good person, both personally and professionally. And then the second, listening, right? You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. You should do twice as much listening as you do talking. And you know, on behalf of everyone, you know, certainly, Lee, we appreciate your commitment to paying it forward as you, know, as you do produce several of those world-class events to help teach people the rope. So be sure to, to go on to Steinberg Sports and Entertainment, learn a little bit about the Sports Career Conference, Agent Academy, and the Sports Business Certificate. And so, Lee, going back to the beginning, you grow up in Los Angeles. Your parents were a teacher and a librarian, and that certainly seems to go hand in hand as we have already discussed you teaching as a part of your career and, and what your passion is. And you've also written several books. And so growing up, you know, did you always know you wanted to get into the sports business? Oh, absolutely not. I was a sports <laughs> fan. I rooted for the Dodgers and Angels and Lakers and Rams and uh, UCLA. But um, it was just, uh, 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 I was crazy about those sports, um, and I ran track and cross-country myself. But there was no field of organized right. agency back at that point, so there was nothing to aspire to. My dad raised us with two core values, treasure relationships, especially family and make a meaningful difference in the world and help people who couldn't help themselves. So really those have always just been my goals. What kind of son are you? What kind of father? What kind of brother? Are you good to your friends? Are you there for them in critical times? And then did I make a difference? Was I able to take issues like bullying or sex trafficking or domestic violence or <clears throat> the environment or racism? and create programs that um, address those issues and made the world nicer for more people. Right. Absolutely. And, and you know, to the point, they didn't necessarily have the sports marketing and sports management degrees they do now. And you end up going to the University of California, Berkeley, and you studied political science and government, then went on to get your JD, the doctor of law. And so while you were there, you lived on the same floor as Steve Barkowski, a former NFL quarterback, and Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple. So was it always your DNA to just surround yourself with elite people and professionals? 
That was a very special time at Berkeley. It was, the culture was changing. It was about longer hair and beards mm -hmm. and tie-dye and rock music and anti-Vietnam War. And uh, so it was a very different type of uh, context. As a matter of fact, <clears throat> when I was student body president, the governor was a man named Ronald Reagan. And every time we demonstrate, he cracked down. So I learned much of what I needed to learn about negotiating from dealing with governor, later president. Uh, yeah. Reagan. No, that's cool. And, and so looking back, what were some of your key learnings early, all, early on that ultimately started you down the entrepreneur track and, and to ultimately be a sports agent? So I think vision is really important. I read five newspapers a day every periodical I can get my hand on, you have to be able to visualize where markets are and where they're going, what potential needs are in the commercial marketplace, um, the development of technology and, and understand uh, the future. And then one of the keys is to stay in this moment. So when I'm talking to you, I don't know what time it is. Uh, I'm not worried about my phone. Um, <clears throat> I'm not worried about what happened in my past or what will happen when we finish. I'm yep. totally, every ounce of energy I have is into this moment and the text and the subtext. And if you can be present for every experience, um, then you get the most out of it. And how important is that, right? You know, especially now with the new age of the technology of just always having to have your phone and things like that. You, to your point, great advice. Be present at all times. You know, you, we're talking today for 40, 45 minutes. And so we'll both be as present as possible to try to give back. And, you know, Lee, now to being a, a sports agent, and not only just a sports agent, a top one, being elite. And you've represented many of the most successful athletes and coaches in football, basketball, baseball, hockey, boxing, golf. List goes on and on. And you've represented the number one overall pick in the NFL draft eight times in conjunction with 62 total first round picks in 11 NFL Hall of Famers. So, so multiple questions on that, Lee. First, to get some of the biggest names, I assume, and, and this business seems very competitive. How are you standing out and securing some of the biggest names? So it's by taking a holistic approach, which is to really get into the values and priorities of an individual, not doing it generically, but taking that person and figuring out, first of all, can they be a role model? So we ask athletes to go back to the high school community, set up a scholarship fund, work with the church or boys and girls club. At the collegiate level, um, a number of the players, Troy Aikman at UCLA or Steve Young at BYU or Edgerton James at Miami, have endowed full scholarships. Uh, alums primarily relate to the university through the football or basketball program. So um, getting them to be mentored by alums can be really helpful for their career. And then at the pro level, setting up a charitable foundation that attacks some basic problem that concerns the athlete and then encompasses the leading business figures, political figures, and community leaders on an advisory board and then executes a program. So an example would be work done, who ran for 
Atlanta and Tampa Bay in the NFL and just put the 175th single mother and their family into the first home they'll ever own in a, a program we called Homes for the Holidays. So it's athletes changing lives. Yeah. The second thing is to be very conscious of second career. And um, can an athlete do an internship? And uh, we had an athlete do an internship for the coffee bean, or we've had them do it for television, or and they need to learn how to network and yeah. get involved. And so second career-wise, Bruce Smith, the all-time sack leader, owns part of the largest luxury hotel in uh, Washington, D.C., and is vice president of a construction company. Three of the players I've worked with have become minority owners in actual teams. So Warwick Dunn, who we just mentioned, owns part of the Atlanta Falcons. So this generation of athletes can do anything. They can be successes in business, media, politics, coaching, um, basically any field. You know, and at that point, you know, having that holistic approach and that, that second in line. And I think it just goes to show no matter what you're, you're selling or, or the person you're meeting with on the other side is understanding what value proposition is important to them and what is key to them. And you guys certainly do your research. And, you know, to the sports agent business, I assume it's very similar to any other sales position as far as testimonials and referrals go. So not sure if anyone can even come close to, to some of the testimonial, testimonials you have not only just based on names alone, but you also have helped secure over $4 billion for 300 plus pro athletes. And I've said it multiple times on this podcast. If you have to think, think big, and that's clearly what you and, and your team do. So Lee, can you walk us through your mindset and mentality when it comes to negotiating? So the first key is to understand your own priorities or that of a client. And everything cannot be as critically important as everything else. So it may be length, term, signing bonus, salary, guarantees, incentives. But you need to have a clear understanding of how every item relates to every other item so you can make quick moves. Then you have to, again, put your head in the person you're negotiating with and understand what a win-win situation is. How can you achieve the goals for your client at the same time allowing uh, a team or an organization to, to get their keys? And they're not always the same. So you have to have uh, constructive dialogue to be able to understand that. And then research of what the business is, what the economics are, that particular person, is it someone who's being judged by their boss, by how they respond or other people similarly situated? If it happens to be in sports, is it a general manager who feels pressure from his owner or from other players? You need to understand uniquely that uh, situation. And then to try and continually communicate. One of the keys is to drain all the emotion out of you so that this is not about me, it's about a client. Yep. And I don't react to 
certain things. Um, if you've said everything you have to say, that's fine. People get so nervous about silence and the passage of time that they end up inserting and agreeing to things that they ought not. Right. Um, so that's key. Another key is don't push a losing argument to the end. So you're trying to get some point and there's heavy resistance from the other side. So back off, walk away, take a break and reapproach it in another way. Don't force that person to be so committed and have a stake in um, not giving up this point that um, uh, you're, you're, don't push a losing argument to the end. Yeah. Um, you know, say flexible. And then resilience is really key. Things may uh, appear at the moment dark or foreboding or uh, unworkable, but um, that too will change. And you have to have the ability to come back even in the face of disappointment and try again. No, absolutely. And it kind of makes me laugh. It makes me think back early on in my career, you know, just selling premium and hospitality. And, and one time, you know, I had a mentor of mine that said, look, silence doesn't always kill deals. If you've provided that value proposition, let them respond and let them answer. And then, you know, to your point, I also kind of laugh thinking of some of the best sales that people have made are the ones that they get told no early on, but they have that resilient mindset and mentality to come back and figure out the true value that, that makes it work. And so, you know, throughout your entire career, I'm sure you've had some some really funny, some really engaging negotiations. As, as you think back, what would you say has been your most memorable negotiation you've been a part of? Well, we recently with um, my younger partner, Chris Cabot, um, did a negotiation for Patrick Mahomes that was the biggest um, total in sports history. I had done that before with Steve Young back in 1984, so it's been a while, um, who signed with the USFL. And um, that was memorable because two leagues were competing against each other, the NFL and the USFL. And um, we had a negotiation session where the owner wasn't real happy and he ended up knocking glass on the floor, ordering us out in the middle of the night we ended up on the streets of San Francisco at 3.30 in the morning, and I have young Steve Young uh, <laughs> by my side, and what just happened? Yeah, you're like, what is going on? Yeah, so we had to get back to the East Bay. and um, But some of it is is just sort of funny. I had a talented, talented offensive tackle named David Williams, who uh, we were renegotiating with the then Houston Oilers. And I made them a fairly stiff, ridiculous proposal. And they accepted. So I said, David, I've got great news for you. Um, they just accepted our offer. And he said, I don't want it. <laughs> I said, no, David, maybe you're not understanding. They accepted our offer. Um, he said, I still don't want it. I told you to keep me out of camp at least three weeks because I hate <laughs> training camp. You're like, but I got everything that we wanted. <laughs> but I didn't fulfill the client because he didn't want to go to training camp. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Lee Steinberg, CEO of Steinberg Sports and Entertainment. Lee, you certainly have a ton of success in the business world and doing what most people dream of. And you're often credited as the inspiration for the Oscar-winning film, Jerry Maguire, where you made an appearance. You also consulted with features such as Any Given Sunday and For the Love of the Game. And so you've since developed original television and film content and have been on the forefront of the internet revolution. And so what made you also want to get involved in that media world? Um, I would have been involved in a series of ways. I've had my own radio show three times. I've also hosted a podcast. I've also represented people that go on to do uh, television and uh, media. But content is king today. And sports has a unique ability to deliver inspirational stories. And so they could be movies, they could be documentaries, they could be um, you know, subjects for podcasts, they, they uh, could break out in a lot of different ways. Right. And any um, aspirational sport film set against a sports backdrop <clears throat> that is modestly budgeted, they make money all day long. They don't make the Titanic, but they do um, whether it's uh, Remember the Titans or Hoosiers or uh, all the way through Jerry Maguire and, uh, and the blind side, um, they do very well. So it's a rich source and we want to be able to help package uh, projects for television uh, the pay uh, stations and, uh, and uh, motion pictures. No, absolutely. And so with anyone and anything in life, obstacles are often thrown at us and you're living the dream. And about a decade ago, things start going in a little bit of a different direction for you. You're fighting alcoholism and then ended up having to file bankruptcy. And so you've now celebrated over a decade of sobriety and have obviously bounced back from a business perspective. But as you look back at maybe that dark time in your life, what made you keep finding a way to fight through it? 
So I struggled with alcohol and eventually I had to break denial and realize I had a problem. And um, so I closed up my business. I closed up my home. I went and lived at my parents for a while and then lived in sober living. And I said, there are only two things that, that I have to pledge to do. One is maintain sobriety and the other is be a good parent. And anything else will be a cherry on the top. And so I worked uh, a 12-step program with a unique fellowship and um, just celebrated my 11th sober birthday. So I'm in my 12th year. Resilience, again, and a sense of proportionality. So when I'm sitting there and my biggest thought is where I can find more vodka, um, I wasn't a starving peasant in South Sudan or Darfur. Right. I didn't have the last name Steinberg in Nazi Germany. Um, I wasn't sick in any way that wasn't self-induced. So what excuse did I have not to live up to my dad's core values and admonitions? And it's resilience. It's in the midst of destruction and detritus, being able to somehow think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Right. It's walking into that barn filled with uh, pony defecation and saying, you know, there must be a pony in here somewhere. If we just look <laughs> enough. Yeah. So it, it's a sense of resilience and proportionality. No, absolutely. And as you're battling through to your point, you saw the light at the end of the tunnel and, and you certainly put a plan in place. And then you ultimately launched Steinberg sports and entertainment and kind of reopen that business. And we always hear about athletes making a comeback. And this time it was certainly with you. And so what were some early challenges on getting that new firm up and running? So you had to have a brutally realistic um, assessment for what the business was. Sports agency has always been as challenging a business as exists in this country with, with less athletes than there are agents who want to represent them. And um, so, first of all, someone might ask me, well, can you guarantee us you'll stay sober? Which, of course, you can't. You can just right. guarantee that you're doing the work. Or you've been out of this for five or six years, you know, do you still have contacts or yeah. getting on there in age? How can you guarantee you'll be here for my son's future? So I had to prepare myself to respond to all of that because I don't have a divine right to represent athletes. Um, one of the first things I did is I wrote the uh, New York Times bestseller, The Agent, and I went back to college campuses across the country to reintroduce myself to that next generation because Gen Z tends to believe that history started today. So <laughs> I needed to reintroduce myself. And then I did a radio show and a podcast, which also worked that way. Um, the first real breakthrough, we started with a client who's now playing for Dallas named Garrett Gilbert, who had played at SMU. Um, and then in 2016, Paxton Lynch, who was playing for Memphis uh, at, at the university level, um, was going to be a first-round draft pick, and his dad called. And so that gave us the same model uh, that 
I had had for years, which is representing first round quarterbacks. And right. I had half the starting quarterback. So that got that going. And then the next year was Patrick Mahomes, who um, was sort of undervalued coming out of college because the Texas Tech defense was really weak and they were giving up 50 points a game. So he had to press himself to score on basically um, every, every single drive. And um, so they thought he was a gunslinger or undisciplined. So that got going. And then the year after Tua Tongo Bailoa from Alabama, who went to Miami and uh, Jerry Judy, uh, wide receiver from Dallas and then a, a series of players, but it all broke loose. Yeah. So to your point, you had to really immerse yourself back into that, that market in that space after being gone for four or five years. And, and now you've, you've certainly got it up and running. And, you know, a lot of people in this business certainly deal with rejecting rejection on a consistent basis, both, both big and small. And so what's your advice to our listeners here who have to deal with rejection and, and how to overcome that? Well, first of all, try to profile your potential client. Have an idea of what services that you have, what thoughts that you have, what philosophy you have. Who's that going to appeal to? And so on a college campus, we look for players that are brighter, who have charitable hearts, who are ambitious for second career, um, who have a stellar work ethic. So I know that if someone's going to respond to suggestions about charity and community, that's my type of guy. I know if someone has a stellar work ethic, that's my type of guy. So first of all, try and think about what audience you're selling to and whether or not profiling that person might be better. And then... Um, life has rejection in it. So I might sign 80% of those, but I won't sign every last person. And um, I met a salesman once who was really compelling. And I said, what's your secret? And he says, my secret is I don't fear rejection. And so the point is that, that, it's not important whether you get turned down on, on by a couple of women. It's important the woman you end up with. It's not important that um, you hear the word no. It's not personal. You're not being re- – someone hasn't taken a review of your entire life experience and judged you unworthy. Right, right. <laughs> it's, it's just finding the the right commonality and need at the right time. So you've got to have resilience. You have to be able to bounce back. You have to have a short memory so that the fact that someone turned you down in the past has nothing to do with this interaction. Right. This is fresh. This is new. Have a have a faulty memory towards uh, what happened. Learn from the rejections. Yep. See if there's anything to learn from them. Um, any new approach you might take, but um, uh, just understand that that's just life. It's, right. it's going to happen. Uh, right. It's uh, 
people who end up president end up losing races. Abraham Lincoln was probably yeah. the biggest conventional loser ever before he became our greatest president. And um, it's, um, it's, it's um, believe in yourself and uh, understand that that's just the nature of life. I walk into the office every day knowing that no matter how hard we plan, no matter how much preparation, something is going to go awry. Yep. Some outside factor is going to interrupt something that we thought we had under control and was, and, and, you know, it's, it's just part of being alive and being in the business world. And that's part of it, right? Is control what you can control. You've got to learn from what, what are they rejecting to, or, you know, is your pitch, are you saying something wrong? Is the value proposition not there, but ultimately put your blinders on and be resilient and get it done. And, and you've certainly shown that in your career and in your life. And, you know, Lee, another great attribute about you is that you've really been able to differentiate uh, you know, from your passion for giving to those less fortunate, your endless campaign to make the world a better place. You've been named man of the year a dozen times by a variety of groups, awarded keys to the city in several different cities and inducted in the California Sports Hall of Fame. You've even had the mayor of San Francisco declare a Lee Steinberg day, um, which that certainly probably wasn't the time of, of the Steve Young when you're out in the middle of, of San Francisco. But, you know, to, to be part of that, why is it a passion for yours to help make the, better, the world a better place? Because I feel um, incredibly blessed and gifted to have been born into a free country with a democracy and a high standard of living uh, with opportunity. And I didn't fight in a war for that. I didn't um, defend our country that way. So the least I can do is try to find causes. Um, uh, So in the wake of skinheads and hate groups, I organized thing called Samurai Leadership, where we train young professionals in the 30 biggest cities across the country, how to spot skinheads and hate groups, how to go into crisis situations and intervene, how to um, go into to, uh, school systems and introduce concepts of tolerance. And we created a whole generation against hate. Um, I think one of the antidotes for bullying is that if you could get the athletes on a high school campus to not be the bulliers, but be the promoters of tolerance, put their arms around someone who's fat or mentally handicapped or has a hair lip or or whatever the problem happens to be that's getting them picked on and um, that they could change the culture of a high school real quick. I think that our kids are going to ask us what we did to to fight against climate change. And uh, they're going to ask, did you know that oceans were rising? Did you know that carbon emissions were polluting the air? Did you understand that there were hurricanes and, uh, and all sorts of aberrational weather occurrences? What part of it didn't you understand and how it was going to alter our life? So I came up with the Sporting Green Alliance that takes sustainable technology and wind, solar, recycling, resurfacing water to stadium, arena, and practice fields um, to 
pull down carbon emissions and energy costs and transform those venues into teaching platforms so that uh, hundreds of millions of fans could come and see a waterless urinal or solar panel and think about how to put those in their own homes and businesses. I think my dad used to say to me, when you're looking for someone to solve a problem in the world, as small as a piece of paper on the floor or as big as climate change, he said, and you keep waiting for they and them, older people, political figures, somebody else to solve the problem. He would say, you can wait forever. Right. The they is you, son. You are the they. So it, it gives one a sense of responsibility that if if you got the ability to speak and organize and 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 use athletes as role models so we had lennox lewis the boxer uh cut a public service announcement that said real men don't hit women and that could do more to change behavioral attitudes in rebellious adolescents towards domestic violence than a thousand authority figures ever could. No, we certainly appreciate it and, and certainly you know look forward to your continuous you know, impact in, in making the world a better place. And Lee, in addition to your day-to-day job and all of your media accolades, you also found the time to publish two books. And the first, Winning with Integrity, providing insights on how to improve life through that non-confrontational negotiation. And then your most recent book, My 40-Year Career of Making Deals and Changing the Game, which details your dominance in the sports industry and overcoming your personal struggles to launch your comeback and you having that resilient mindset. So how exciting was the release of both your books and, and why ultimately did you want to write those? Well, I was brought up by a librarian and I'm a bibliophile. So I read two or three books a week and I love books. The first one was a refutation of situational ethics. Show people, everyone negotiates in their own lives. Uh, Husbands with wives, uh, boyfriends with girlfriends over uh, where you're going on vacation or where you're going to have dinner, who does the domestic chores, parents negotiate with their kids over curfew. <laughs> um, we buy homes, we buy cars, we negotiate for our own job and terms yep. and conditions. So I wanted to make it less frightening uh, to people and show them how they could get what they want without using tactics that would uh, lose their soul. And so that was a negotiation book. The agent is more about life and um, um, ups and downs and plus the agency business and, and my personal history. And I've got more that we're currently planning. I can um, imagine. One that would be a continuation to the agent, another one which would be advice for parents with kids entering youth sports. So no one gives you a driver's license when your son or daughter plays soccer for the first time about are they supposed to win at all costs or is participation the key? And um, if they're not winning, if they're playing a position they don't like, if they're... um, they don't like to coach. Um, do they? You counsel them to stand up for themselves <laughs> and assert themselves, or should they learn that life has disappointment and you sort of have to suck it up and learn character? So, I've got more books coming. 
as I say, as, as much as you're reading and you mentioned earlier, you know, five newspaper publications a day and reading two or three books a week, I'm, I'm sure you have that itch to continue to, to give back. And we certainly appreciate it. And, you know, along those lines in your career, you've worked with a lot of great entrepreneurs, athletes, actors, et cetera. And so what are some of the key characteristics of the most successful people that always stand out to you? First of all, a willingness to postpone current gratification for future success. Um, I always say stay in process. Um, instead of worrying about the ultimate result, do those things you know are most uh, designed to make you more successful. And again, you know, stay in the moment. But then it's it's... <clears throat> Can you perform in life's critical situations? So let's take a quarterback. He's thrown a couple interceptions. The crowd is booing. A third of the games are blowouts, but many of them come down to the fourth quarter or even the last drive. So the point is you've thrown the interceptions. The game's getting out of hand. The crowd is booing. Can you compartmentalize, tune out all the distractions, um, adopt a quiet mind, and elevate your level of performance to take a team to and through victory? We all have those critical moments in life, and the people who succeed the best are able to, to again, in the, in the midst of disaster and, and cataclysm, um, find a way through and perform when it, life is at its most critical. Not every moment is as critical as every other one. And so the people who make it in entertainment and sports and politics and business all have that quality of being able to tune into the moment, focus on that, not dwell on the past and elevate their level of performance. And they all work very hard in ways you don't see to get ready for that moment. So the, the athlete who, who works out and is dedicated to keeping the right nutrition and, and the rest of it, that's the iceberg below the tip that you see, which is an athlete's performance. Same way for anyone in, in business. Um, I have a saying, be kind to your future self which is to do those things that may not pay off immediately, but plant those seeds, those relationships that maybe three, four, 10 years off, you will be the beneficiary today of steps you took to prepare in the past. And so don't look for immediate return off of everything. You know, the whole saying you hear all the way growing up, right? Practice makes perfect. You know, a lot of times, whether it be on an athlete or in the sports business, you don't see the work that the most successful people are putting in. You know, you just see the end result. So you're right. And you've seen those theories where it takes 15,000 hours or 10,000 hours of practice to play the piano type, uh, uh, you know, throw the football the right way. So there's endless amounts of that. And it's, you watch these playoffs in basketball. What you don't see is the kid sitting there in high school uh, shooting for two hours, 400 balls. Right. Um, 
practice, 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 which you see is the game situation. Absolutely. And Lee, you've had such a great career and an awesome and fun journey. And I, I was very excited to talk about this today. And you know, looking back at your entire career, what would you say has been your best memory? Well, your best memory, of course, in life is your children being born. But if we're talking work, um, Warren Moon and I went through 23 years of his career in football, starting in Canada and leading to the Hall of Fame. And he asked me to be his presenter at the Hall of Fame. He'd been this marvelous role model. And and really, um, having the first pick in the draft, having a quarterback win the Super Bowl, having players go in the Hall of Fame, which we have 12 in football. We had a big baseball practice and basketball also. was really good. I, I have to say the moment that Troy Aikman won his first Super Bowl and uh, they beat the Buffalo Bills at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and I watched his life change forever. The moment when Steve Young finally escaped the shadow of Joe Montana and in the Miami Super Bowl against the Chargers threw six touchdown passes was MVP. And I ran up to him afterwards and he said, the monkey's off my back, the monkey's (laughs) off my back. And then seeing the charitable and community programs and how athletes have changed lives. It's Patrick Mahomes with his 15 and the Mahomes. It's Tua Tongo Bailoa going back to his uh, high school in Hawaii and endowing uh, a very rich um, uh, scholarship fund. It's uh, athletes changing lives. No, that's awesome. And certainly a great career. And Lee, thank you so much. And to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Yep. All righty. If another movie was made about you, what actor would you like to play like yourself? Oh, I think it was younger. It might be somebody like Zach Efron or uh, Jake Lillenhell. <laughs> there you go. I like it. What's your favorite item you've purchased this year? Uh, Fitbit. Okay. Um, uh, it's got, I'll sit at my desk and it'll say time for a stroll. And it's got me walking 15 to 20,000 steps a day. So it's, it's really a great in, invention. I feel like those things just get your competitive bloods flowing at all times. They do. And, and the temptation is to sit at your desk all day. And uh, we're not very healthy. So, um, you know, it's, it's been great. Well, if you're going to sail around the world, what would you name your boat? Um, I would name my uh, boat uh, Dream Big. All right. Great. Awesome. And to close it out, what are three key takeaways you would give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Um, own your listening skills study psychology because everything in life will be about your interaction with people at some level somehow so um hone your listening skills um uh, and stay in this moment to the exclusion of every other moment um be present always. No, I love it. 
you, you mentioned early on, right. Being present for the 45 minutes we just spent together and, you know, listening, you, you mentioned that a couple of times and study psychology, be resilient. So again, Lee, thank you so much. You've had an amazing career you, you've had, and you're, you're even more of an amazing person. So please be sure to read his books, visit SteinbergSports.com to learn about his education programs. And again, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate your time and expertise. Thank you, Travis. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle. Please be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter. So follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back next week with another industry leader. Have a great week.